man, we need that whip. <laughs> That's the car I need. Right. Motherfucker hit a plane and the plane blew up. Standing in the mirror, my visions of that money getting clearer. Hold on, let me get this shit right. Yeah. Trap wins. 28 grams. You get me? Uh, standing in the mirror, my vision of that money getting clearer. Scratch that, it's getting nearer. Some of this actually happened. I was weed napping, wasn't shit. Now they pay us for the rest. We kick my hotel, smell like confidence. They hate us, but that weed smoke bring on compliments. So roll this paper, tell the waitress, get my drink from off the coaster. Bring the bitch that love to smoke and get the weight from off my shoulders. Yeah. I be flying everywhere, nigga. <laughs> Sometimes I don't even know where the fuck I'm at. I be waking up. Random motherfuckers be knocking on my door and shit. Like, Who the fuck is that? Nosy ass cleaning ladies. <laughs> you wanna hit this weed? Oh. So Christmas was kind of crazy. Um, my mom and I had a really big blowout argument right before Christmas. Literally Christmas Eve, we were arguing about a couple of different things. And it wasn't fun arguing what we were arguing about. Um, I take some blame, I think. And, and I'll give a little bit of context because you're probably wondering what the fuck I'm talking about. Um, COVID-19 is something that is really scary for a lot of people. And Myself and my fiance, we went through a situation during COVID, um, not only having it, but, you know, my fiance spent eight days in the hospital. I, you know, did multiple trips to and from the hospital. So, you know, missed out on months upon months of money and time and um, so much shit. And so so when 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 things are ramping up like they are again now, that puts us in a mindset where we need to be pretty thoughtful about our decisions. And so inevitably what happened is the way that my mom wanted, you know, Christmas morning to go, it just simply couldn't due to my dad potentially being exposed and, and, and potentially having COVID. Um, he wasn't feeling too well. And so we had to make some adjustments and, um, but all in all, it worked out, right? All in all, we had a great morning had a lot of great time with with my sister, with my my, my dad, my, my mom, my fiance. We then spent some time over with with her parents as well, and I got fucking wasted. Oh my gosh, I I was introduced to brandy by my brother, um, and oh my gosh, dude, Jesus Christ, brandy, four ice cubes and ginger beer. Don't don't say shit else to me. Right. Like it is so sweet. It's so good. It's so it's straight alcohol, by the way, as well. So like it really hits your soul in a very different way. Um, it fucks you up. I just want to say like it, I was fucked up. Um, I was fucked up and I enjoyed it, though. It was a good it was a good Christmas. Um, I got this crispy new microphone that you're hearing right now. Um, so it was a dope time. It was a good Christmas. It was a dope time. There was a, a lot of good conversations that were had, and um, I felt good about it. So I think 
ending up, you know, not getting into the greatest emotional state with my mom in the very beginning of Christmas turned out to be a learning experience for the both of us. And it inevitably worked out. So I'm not upset. I'm not angry. Um, I think, again, it was something that we both needed, I think, to, to vent about because I think there are times we look at that situation from different angles and different points of views. But again, all in all, it worked out. Um, again, I got fucked up. I drank a lot. I ate a lot of great food, had great, uh, great gifts being given to everyone and just a lot of really good times. So really thankful. Um, I hope everyone listening had a great Christmas. I hope everyone listening had a great holidays. You know, the holiday season is something that I think a lot about from from kind of a dark perspective. I, For some reason, I always find myself thinking about the homeless. I always find myself thinking about the folks that maybe just lost a wife, maybe just lost a child, maybe just lost a, a brother or a sister, um, maybe that are depressed, maybe that they literally don't have a dime to buy anyone they love or buy themselves anything. I always, for some reason, I think because like I'm like this Captain Savaho, I'm always thinking about what can I do? How can I help? Um, how are people feeling? Like just just what the fuck is happening in the world today? And 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 I think it gets, gets a little bit more emotional for me during the holiday moments because the holiday moments are always a moment where everyone is um everyone deserves peace. I think you see that within the workplace. I think you see that within just the overall state of the social media landscape. Everyone deserves peace. Everyone deserves happiness. Everyone deserves a full belly. Everyone deserves a nice little buzz if you indulge in alcohol or weed, right? Everyone deserves a gift. Everyone deserves family. And I think for those that don't have that, I don't know. It just fucks me up every now and again. And I don't know. I find myself tearing up. I found myself questioning the makers of this world and, and wondering why it's this way. And um, I think part of my DNA is when I, when I see a problem that I can't directly fix with one swoop or with one flick of my wrist or, or with one flick of a wand, since I'm Captain Save a Hope, I find myself getting pretty upset. Um, so this is actually what I'm, do, I'm gonna do here. I'm gonna chop up this podcast in various moments because I've been having a lot of disruptions with my neighbor, with this fucking dog, my own dog. So this is the uh, first of many sections of the same podcast. I'm just gonna chop up the audio. So gonna end this little portion now. Love you guys. Gonna check back in in 30 seconds. All right, so we're back. Um, just had to pick up this freaking dog that I have. I love this guy. I really, really do. But this dog is a fucker. And when I say a fucker, he really is a fucker. Not in a good way most of the time. There are there are rare moments, rare moments, when um, I look at this guy and I say, I love you. I care about you. And I rub his little fucking head. And I give him a little kiss like I just did. And I tell him that I'm appreciative of him. And most of the time, though, I literally want to take my head and I want to jam it against his head and ask him direct questions around why does he have to bark so much and why does he have to be so annoying? But um, that's neither here nor there. 
back to the, the podcast, back to some thoughts. And uh, for those actually that for whatever reason, and I hope this is never the case, but for those that are listening to this podcast uh, for the first time of this entire podcast, my name is Isaac Jones. Um, this is the Project LLV podcast. And in this podcast and in all podcasts, we talk about a lot of shit. Um, and I share thoughts and I share perspectives and I pick topics pretty ad hoc and pretty randomly. And um, I do my best to elaborate on those topics as much as I can from an authentic point of view. So that's uh, that's who I am. That's what the podcast is about. And I just got done talking about Christmas and my mom and some other things. And uh, I think today's podcast is going to be kind of interesting. I spent 90 seconds picking some topics that um, just spoke to me when I first saw them. And the first is this guy by the name of Ricky Hill. His actual official name is Richard Hill. Um, He is the son, I believe the only son, of Tommy Hilfiger. Now, anyone that knows about hip hop, film, art, culture, society, we all know what Tommy Hilfiger is. We all know the shirts. We all know the hats. We all know the clothes. We all know, like, we all know what the fuck it is. And Tommy Hilfiger is a brand that motherfuckers just plain and simple need to respect. And I need to stop actually doing the motherfucker a lot. I need to stop cursing as much. That was some feedback that uh, a friend gave me. But anyway, Tommy Hilfiger needs to be respected. The brand needs to be respected. What the brand I think has done for the hip hop society needs to be respected. Um, and that's probably a different com- content and episode and, and and moment where like what Tommy Hilfiger did for hip hop and I think film and, and society between the 1980s and 2007 is something that is completely remarkable. But anyway, probably in probably in 2010 to 2014, I came across I came across this rapper by the name of Ricky Hill. And I originally came across him because I was in a place in time where anxiety and depression and drug use and being open about my thoughts and my emotions and my feelings was um was something that I was attracted to. I was looking for areas to vent and I was looking for music to connect with based off of how I was feeling at the time. And I came across this artist named Ricky Hill. Um, he had a song, I think, called Apples. He had, an, he, had a couple, uh, he had a couple of interviews, I think, on Two Dope Boys. I think, um, let me see here. He had a song called, actually, let me look this up here because there were some, there were some, there were some songs by Ricky Hill that a lot of people, um, I think, forget about and, don't respect. Um, Ricky Hill was a very interesting character at that time. So let me see. We had, um, let me see what he had. He had, so he used to have this thing called Nomads, right? So he had this song called Drug uh, Drug Dealer, Dealer Man, Hear Me. Um, he had a song with The Weeknd called Nomads. Um, he had a song called Xanax Bars. He had a song called Sarah's Story. Um, he had a song called, uh, Slickville. He had a lot of songs, but inevitably I, again, I just fucked with his music because of the content. 
I liked his like he's tatted up like from from his freaking toes through his dick to like his forehead. There's tattoos everywhere. I thought that was really interesting. And I appreciated like his flow and his and his verbiage and, and his in the way. Oh, he had a song called Cookies and Apples, which was dope. It was a freestyle. Um, I just fucked with it, right? So it was an underground artist, real, real, real underground. And at the time, I really, I really respected underground rap. Like there was actually a time in my entrepreneurial career where I thought that I was gonna get into like being a music blogger and AR, like that whole world, because I, you know. I found out about Wiz Khalifa when like no human being, and I mean literally no human being in DC, Maryland, Virginia knew his name. Like, like, and now was like every human being knows who Wiz Khalifa is. I found out about Big Sean when he dropped his first mixtape called Finally Famous. I knew about Mike Posner back when he used to be uh, featured on Big Sean's music and it was like a good look for Mike Posner. Um, I knew about Currency early on, um, Ricky Hill early on. So long story short, like Ricky Hill and, and what he did and, and how he brought things was really interesting. So here's the fun fact, and here's how I tie things in. Ricky Hill is actually the son to Tommy Hilfiger. I'm going to say that again. Ricky Hill is the only son to Tommy Hilfiger. And I think what I realized about Ricky Hill and what I respect about Ricky Hill is he took a different path in a direction with his career that is something that needs to be respected. I think the way that he navigated his career, the way that he was brave with his career, was courageous with his career, ignored the private school education that I think his he was given and went more of a gritty street path without using his daddy's, from what I could tell, money or even brand to put him on, I think is something that needs to be respected. So the first topic is actually a short topic, but a, a really interesting topic. Ricky Hill is an interesting character, an interesting artist. I still think he raps today. I saw this topic amongst my list of topics that you guys know I just randomly pick. You know, my boy Jeff and a couple other people that I fuck with will probably laugh their ass off that I'm even talking about this kid. I think the ironic thing is, number one, he's brave. Number two, he just doesn't give a shit. And I really respect people like that. Number three, I think he's like borderline talented. Number four, his, his the artwork on his body is magnificent. Number five, he's connected to Tommy Hilfiger, which is dope as shit. Um, number six... Again, back to the bravery. He just did something completely different than I think everyone in his life thought he was going to do. Um, and number seven, um, he's someone that just needs to be respected. He's someone that I think, I think was very aware of who he is and who he was and who he wanted to be, no matter of the pressures of his dad or the environment of the world. Because he very easily could have been a, a designer within his, his, his father's setup. He very easily could have been a, a freaking film. Director. I don't know. He very easily could have went down a path that was completely different than being a street drug type rapper. Um, but he did something that he believed in. He did something that was was good for him and good to him. And um, I really respected that. And so I think a lot of honestly, the last thing I'll say, a lot of what Ricky Hill did early in my life 
gave me the confidence because I saw that he had a lot of confidence. So this is my section on Ricky Hill. Shout out to you. Shout out to Tommy Hilfiger. And also shout out to Tommy Hilfiger for giving Ricky Hill the bandwidth in the room and not suffocating him and making him feel like he couldn't be or shouldn't be himself. So, so shout out to Ricky Hill. Shout out to Tommy Hilfiger. Um, I think his music, his music is not that great, but I think he's brave as fuck. Um, and I think what he's done, what he's done in the music industry, what he's done in his life, how he's been able to navigate, remain independent and remain brave and honest needs to be respected. So again, shout out to him. Shout out to Tommy Hilfiger. And uh, let's get into the second part or the second topic, rather. Appreciate you. My sports agent idea. Um, a while back, I came up with an idea. Well, first, let me let me start this all over again. Years ago, I always wanted to be a sports agent. That was always a goal of mine. That was always something that I thought about. Um, that was honestly my first career ideation. Um, I think, I think the main reasons, reasons of why I wanted to be a sports agent were twofold. I think the first is I played football and basketball and baseball and just sports my entire life. So I felt very natural in that medium. I think also, I remember my mom, and this is something that really taught me that, you know, sales and business and marketing would, would probably be a medium that I play in, but I remember years ago, my mom would always laugh and tell, you know, my aunts and my uncles and friends and family members that um, that I would be able to sell her on an idea or a concept when she knew the entire time that was not necessarily the right path. And she would have to step back and say, hold on, are you the parent or am I the parent? And it was something that was always kind of funny for everyone involved because I just had this 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 natural ability to get people excited about ideas, get people excited about things that maybe weren't even true. I thought they were true, but maybe they were actually true. Um, and convince my mom and so many others that were older than me or wiser than me to believe in my mission or believe in my concept or believe in my ideas or my crazy perspectives. Even to this day, my brother tells me like I always. Um, paint these crazy narratives. And I kind of say with such conviction that he believes just for like 30 seconds now, because he used to believe it objectively a long time ago, but, but even now he believes like, Oh, did, did I actually say that? Because Isaac here is saying this with such conviction and honesty. And then he has to sit back and remember like, Oh no, he's just bullshitting me. He's just being a, a, a salesman and a huckster there. And so, um, how that's connected to my sports agent idea, I always thought I would be a sports agent. And then when I was like 14 or 15, I stumbled across Ari Gold, who was the agent inside of the Entourage series on HBO. And I loved his character. I loved, number one, how he dressed. I loved his watch selection. I loved his bravado. I loved his energy. I loved his swag. I loved his charisma. I loved um, just every bit about him. And I, and I really respected the role that he played in Vince's career and how he would go to back for Vince and how he would think about things from an out-of-the-box angle. And so that was kind of like my first moment of seeing what a sports agent or any sort of an agent looked like and dressed like and talked like. Um, 
And then it wasn't until about three or four years ago that I started coming up with these new variations of what a sports agent should be or could be and, and how they could inevitably impact an athlete's career. Um, and how I think for me, I could couple my sales background, my charisma background, my ability to bullshit others background, um, my, my sports background, my love for Ari Gold and Entourage. I, I figured out again a few years ago, um, should I make that something that I do? Like, should I make that pivot? Should I make that transition? Should that be something I try to pursue? And I inevitably said no, but I came up with a few ideas of how I would do it differently. And then I remember stumbling upon Gary Vaynerchuk and AJ Vaynerchuk. And they created uh, a holding company called VaynerX. And then they created a, a, a company called uh, Vayner Sports. And I think AJ inevitably ended up getting his license to become a sports agent. And then I remember kind of following and tracking what they were doing really closely and how they were bringing something different to the table. And I realized what they were doing had a lot to do with how I inevitably, um, how I would, how I inevitably um, want to uh, want to try to get into the sports agent world and how I wanted to try to impact a sports agent and, and or a sports uh, a sports figure or player. It could be basketball, it could be football, it could be any sport. And so inevitably what I did a few years ago and as I created a few ideas of how I would do it differently. And so I'll start with kind of a rant on, I think the flaws in the space. I think number one, there are many sports agents that are just out to objectively get the athlete. And what do I mean by that? I believe there are many sports agents that are just out here to capitalize on the athlete financially and make deals for the athlete that benefits the agency and not benefiting the the the, the player. And so I think back when I was coming up with this concept, I thought long and hard about ways that I could create and restructure new deals that would be long-term deals. Like I'll give you an example. Whoever was the sports agent for Allen Iverson, they did something that I thought was completely dope and amazing. Like Allen Iverson, the way he structured his deal with Reebok, um, it was a lifetime deal. And I loved how they structured that because whoever his sports agent was really cared about Allen Iverson's long-term interest and perspective and, and realized the psychology of Allen Iverson and how Allen Iverson would probably fuck off the money. And so instead of giving Allen Iverson, let's assume it, $80 million over the course of five years, they gave him a, and this is, I don't know the exact details, but they gave him an $80 million lifetime deal where it would be a million dollars over the next 80 years. And right, like he's 22, it's an 80, 80 year deal. He probably won't live to be longer, uh, you know, uh, live to be uh, older than a hundred. And it made a lot of sense. And it was connected to, I think, the psychology of Allen Iverson, where he was coming from, the inner city of Virginia. He was coming from an area and a world where um, just the psychology of how to be smart with your money wasn't there. And I think the agent showed a vulnerability and an empathetic ability to care about Allen and care about his family, frankly, and care about what Allen needed structurally to support him, not only for the now, for the long term. And so, you know, I think for me, one of the ideas that I've always had is how can we, and again, I think, I think Gary and AJ are doing a lot of this. How can we as sports agents 
structure deals for our athletes and put our athletes in position to benefit long-term career-wise? How can we support our athletes to make the right partnership deal, the right brand deal, the right structure of a contract that can behoove not only them, but can behoove their kids, that can behoove their parents, that can behoove their family members, that can behoove the long term of their career and their and their and their career aspirations. I think also um, I would want to bake in and structure a situation where I'm putting my athlete in a position to get access and exposure and knowledge around investments, around stocks, around real estate, around um, tangibly like like for example, example. If they wanted to open up a restaurant, I would not. I would want to really help curate a mentorship model or a cohort model where my athlete can really go and learn from some of the best restaurant owners in America. And I would cultivate that relationship. I would network on my athlete's behalf and introduce them to players that are really doing it correctly. And when I say players, I don't mean tangibly players. I'm talking about like the players in the restaurant space or the players in the food space. I would I would curate an environment around them where. I'm not just inking deals, cultivating deals for the now, but I would do things where I'm cultivating and building relationships for those athletes long term. And I think that's not happening enough with a lot of the athletes that we see today. There's too many athletes that are that are five years in the like like, like this is even a better example too. Like if you're five years in the league at at half a million dollars a year. I mean, what's the math on that? Let me let me do my let me get my calendar out. What's the math on that? I mean, half a million times five. I mean, that's two point five million dollars. You take taxes out of that. That's a little over a million dollars. We need to have we need to have agents that are helping these athletes really structure and understand educationally how to spend that one point five, how to spend that a million how to put themselves in a network in an environment where they can turn that a million into 10 million, how to turn that a million into 20 million, how to really set up like a drip campaign financially with the banks to take that 1.5 million and trickle down 200,000 over the course of I'm bad at math. So I'm going to do that again. What's that 1.5 million over the course of, let me see, over the course of six years, that's two, no, 250,000 trickle that over the next of six years. And so if they're, if, if they're getting, you know, that 1.5 million over the course of a, a, a two year, three year, four year deal, instead of taking the 1.5 and spending a lot of that in your first year or two, again, doing a, a drip campaign with the banks and really cultivating that relationship with the banks where we're going to give this athlete 180,000, 200,000, 250,000 dollars over the next four, five, six, seven years to keep them in position to be successful, even if they even if they play themselves out of the league. That's thinking about the athlete long term. That's thinking about the athlete for the for the long term longevity of the career. Also, I think what what sports agents should be doing is making partnerships with social media agencies, making partnerships with branding agencies, making partnerships with really strategic PR agencies, making partnerships with organizations and brands overall that are consistent where we're putting, again, our players in the position to capitalize on the right deals that have the right timing, that have the right variables in the mix. And so my idea for to be a sports agent or to create a sports agent environment was to really create like this holistic 
um, community and brand to give access to my athletes, things that I don't think any other agents are giving them access, give them access to knowledge, give them access to brands, give them access to relationships, give them access to longevity, give them access to changing their overall mindset and how they're analyzing their career. Um, I think also what agents can do a better job of is actually not only structuring the deals that make sense long-term, but having conversations with the organizations and saying, look, here's the type of player we think they actually are. And here's how the deal can reflect that. Here's how we, here's how we better make decisions on whether we want to stay at this cup, whether we want to stay with this organization and this team or go to another team based off how this player will be utilized. Long story short, my idea is actually a more macro point of view of this entire industry. We as agents, we as people, the business, the suits of these players, of creatives, of athletes, we need to stop doing things that are in the best interest of the brand and start doing more that's in the best interest of the player. It's very simple, similar to the work that I do in my real life. Everything that I do is for the employee, not for the org, because if I can do the right things for the employee, aka if I can do the right things for the for the player long term, it ends up being a good idea and a good thing for me as the agent or for me as the brand and the organization. And so it's a shift of psychology. It's a shift of a value set. And it's a shift of literally how you structure the deals, how you structure the community, how you structure the relationships, how you structure um, the internal bandwidth internally. Like if I'm a sports agent and I'm building out a real agency, I'm not just bringing on other agents. I'm literally building in an internal branding agency. I'm really, I'm, I'm literally built, uh, building in an internal influencer TikTok agency capability, a, an internal Instagram influencer capability, a creative capability. I'm literally building out an internal PR team. I'm literally building out an internal podcasting structure to be able to give my players access to do things like Draymond Green has done and how Kevin Durant has done and how, um, and how Kevin Durant has gone into build his career and how Devin Barnes has gone to do different things. Like I'm literally building out a career for my players that are that that's longevity thinking that's catered around their, their personal context and their strengths, but I'm doing it in-house. I'm doing it inside of the agency. Um, so those are a few ideas that I think were different that I think um, not many agencies are doing. And I think any agency, whether you're big or you're small, you can cultivate this, this structure in this community in this environment. And I think the thing that I was trying to bring to the table that was different was it was going to be all under the same house, all under the same banner. It was going to be all in-house. We were going to structure and build the, um, the infrastructure in the community to give our players what they need for now and long-term to change the, 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 the emotional state, the knowledge, the capabilities, the bandwidth for our players. So, um, I don't know if I'll ever tap into this. I'm getting a little old here. Um, not really, but I'm, I'm kind of getting into a different stage in life where I want to kind of stop testing new things and double down on what I'm great at. But I do believe this is something that can really impact the player. I do believe if an agency cur curates a model like this, it can be an agency that gets a lot of PR attention that, that get that, that actually attracts a lot of high level talent because they realize what can happen. And I also think, I also think very similar to what AJ and Gary Vaynerchuk is doing. I think an agency like this um, allows you to capitalize on the middle to lower end talent as well. 
and there's more of them than the higher talent. So you actually would have a nice pipeline that's uh, that's interesting. And if you make the right deal, you could actually get in bed with, and I don't mean that in a weird way. I mean, you can actually get yourself involved in on the deals that you're actually cultivating uh, on behalf of your player. So you get a little bit more exposure and access. And maybe you can turn into your own like angel fund or VC fund or um, investment vessel. So there's a lot of cool things you could do. It's a lot of out of the box shit. So yeah, that's my idea. Those are my perspectives. Let's move on to the next topic. Our parents are, um, our parents are some interesting fuckers, aren't they? <laughs> um, no, in all seriousness, our parents are, our parents are brave. Um, I'm thinking about my mom. I'm thinking about my stepdad. I'm thinking about my my birth father, and I'm thinking about how scary it probably was to to have me. Right? I mean, I don't think you ever quite have it all figured out when you are preparing to have a child. And I think the first thing that comes to mind is is bravery. Um, the topic that I have here is. Um, what can we learn and forget from our parents? I think what I know for a fact, I'll pick one from each. I know for a fact what I can learn from my father, my birth father. Um, I can learn. I learned and I can learn what it looks like to not be afraid to try. Uh, my dad from what I can remember and what I know was a brave man when it came to attempting to be a photographer and get into film and arts. And, and it was very different for him because I think number one, very similar to myself, he didn't have any traditional background in that space. He um, was like six, seven and was a former athlete. And so when you first looked at him, you were either like, Oh, is he like a football player or, does he like beat people up for a living or is he going to like elbow me in my fucking forehead right now? Or uh, what does this guy do? I don't think anyone would have immediately thought, Oh no, he's a, he's a photographer. He's a creative. Um, and he attempted it because it was not his natural background. It was not something he was used to. And um, he was brave for, saying to himself, number one, and then saying to his child, number two, and then saying to the world, number three, that this is something I want to try. This is something I want to do. And I remember him saving up every little dollar that he could save up because he was not a rich man at all to buy uh, his cameras. I remember buying, you know, I remember helping him buy a camera at one point. I remember him borrowing my vehicle one time to, uh, I remember him borrowing my car one time to go to a certain park and take pictures. I remember him taking pictures in my football game. So what I learned from him is my bravery. Um, I think what I learned from my mother is, um, I learned from my mother how to be scrappy and how to never let a fucked up situation hold me down or push me down or keep me down for too long. I think, um, I think just watching her navigate 
very minimal finances and stressful periods of time where she had to just figure things out was super interesting for her and definitely very interesting for me. And I and just remember moments, again, watching her navigate it, watching her figure it out. And, um, and I think I learned from that from afar, not realizing it. Like, I think it was a subconscious behavior that I learned because now in my life, anytime there's anything bad happening, I know how to navigate it. I know how to cry for 30 seconds and then inevitably figure my shit out. Um, and it's something that I don't think a lot of people have. And so I think for me, that's definitely one of the things that I learned and that I'm excited that I learned. Um, for my stepdad, I learned patience. He's a very patient man. He's a very quiet man. And I learned a lot of patience from him. And I learned a lot of patience when it comes to the the women and the woman in my life. Um, I learned a lot of patience around, um, just life in general and how I'm, how to not rush things. I also learned, you know, I also, I also learned what it looks like to have a passion in something that's simple. I think my passion for movies and my passion for watches came from him as well. And uh, those are two, two dope passions, like, like film and watches. Who doesn't like that? Who doesn't appreciate a nice Rolex or appreciate a nice, a nice uh, Patek Philippe or appreciate a nice um, Audemars, appreciate a nice, you know, in the real world, appreciate a nice citizen's watch, right? That's thousand or 2000 bucks. Um, and then on the flip side, who doesn't appreciate a nice film? You remember my thoughts around A24 and at some point I'll get into my thoughts on Denzel and Will Smith and Lucky Leo and, um, so many others. And so, that's probably what I learned from him. I think the things that I'll keep, no, the things that I will uh, let those motherfuckers have, <laughs> right? The things that I do not want to have in my ecosystem mentally, I think for my 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 birth father is, um, he allowed bad moments to get the best of him where it put him in a depressed state where inevitably he passed away with no money and no structure and no stability and no family. And I'll never let that happen. Um, I'll move on from that because I'll probably tear up and start crying because it, it is something I'm scared of. I'm For some reason, I'm scared that I'll turn into him one day. Um, I think for my mother, she could be very impulsive. And I try every day to not be that way, but I find myself doing that. Um, so I don't think I want to keep that. And I think I want to let her kind of keep rocking with that impulsiveness. And I want to forget about that. Um, and then I think for my stepfather, um, he is, I want to forget, I think, I think what I naturally picked up from him that I want to forget is he settled a lot and I don't want to settle. Um, I can't settle. Even when it seems like everything is against me, even when it seems like things are not going to work out, even when it seems like 
I have no business being in the in this this room professionally or this room, you know, emotionally or even when it, even when it seems like everything is stacked up against me, um, I can't settle. I can't just sit back. I won't. Um, and I and I see him do that a lot, and it hurts me. So, yeah, those are those are the areas that I think for me that I've learned from my parents and that I appreciate that I learned and I'll keep. And then a couple areas of that, I, that I think I may have picked up that I want to leave and forget about. So let's move on to the next topic. And, um, I'm thinking I'm pausing actually for a second before I move on, because, uh, I want to say this too. I want to give credit to my mom. I want to give credit to my stepdad and I want to give credit to my birth father. I want to give credit to them. Because I'm a, I'm a very, very interesting fucker. <laughs> and I'm appreciative of that. I'm happy about that. I really, really, really am. Um, I really am. What would I do if I moved back in with my parents? And why would it be a good decision and why would it be a bad one? You know, this is a topic that I stole from Gary Vaynerchuk years ago. If you go back and watch some of his old content, he would always give the advice to a lot of his listeners to go back and live with their families and their parents, to double down and be scrappy and start over from scratch and, and do it without the pressure, do it without the, um, yeah, do it without the pressure, do it without the uh the, the the overhead, do it without the um, expectations of being at a certain level in life. So if I were to go back to my parents and start all over, um, I probably would, I probably would not be so quick to not develop a more reliable backup skill. I'm in a really interesting, complex stage in my career where I've set up my skill sets and my ability to either it's going to be a home run or I'm going to be fucked. And I'm comfortable saying that. And if I were ever to go back with my parents and if I ever were to start over again, I probably would create a backup skill set that I could always rely on. Um, that would garner me like, regular money to live a decent life. Um, I think, I think I would also, I think I would also work really hard to not be in a relationship as well. I think I would double down on me. I think I would double down on my, my ability to be patient, my ability to get my credit in order, my ability to stack large amounts of cash my ability to take risks that are long-term thinking. So not take risk in brand building and other things, but take risks in and NFTs or take risks in stocks or take risks in, you know, building a portfolio. I think I would do that. Um, I think I would sit down and talk to my mom more and learn from her more. Um, I have a sister there, so I think I would definitely be a part of her life a little bit more and 
try to leave a more impactful mark because I don't really get to see her that often. Um, I think uh, I think I would I think I would stay there for probably two years if I could, because I think I think if you put your head down financially, emotionally, skill development wise, cash building wise, I think if you really focus and lock in, I think two years is a nice round number where you can pick your head up and and some cool shit can happen. Um, I think it'd be a bad decision though. Like, so those are the good things from a bad angle. I think being close to my mom, we're like brothers and sisters. And so I think we're like, yeah. So I was trying to make sure I said it the right way. Um, I think being too close to her would be a little problematic. Um, (laughs) We are, uh, we are very similar. And I think the biggest red flag would probably be figuring out how to navigate being up underneath of each other a lot, getting in each other's business a lot, butting heads a lot. Um, Because I have so much love and respect for my mother that I wouldn't want to tarnish the relationship. But I think all in all, I have to agree with Gary. Like, I think the pros outweigh the cons. I think a lot of people choose not to indulge in going back home if that, if that's an option because of the um of the perception of it of the like there's a story that Americans designed where it's like hey once you're 22 25 27 30 like being at home is not okay it's not cool but I think if you can get past that that frame of mind and really just sink your teeth into getting better each day and saying, fuck anyone that has an opinion around that. Um, There's a lot of pros. There's a lot of pros to it. So um, that's probably what I would do. And um, I'll wrap it up this way. This podcast was very interesting. I went in a lot of different directions and I'm really proud of this episode. Um, a question that I asked a previous guest and I'm going to ask myself right now is if I had to just choose one, where's my focus more right now? Is it on legacy? Is it on cultivating the most ideal lifestyle? Or am I restructuring my values? Um, and if I were to give a gut reaction right now about that, I would probably say I probably would lean into lifestyle. There's a certain lifestyle that my fiance deserves, that I deserve, and that my family deserves that will take a certain financial level and will take a certain amount of hard work. And I am heads down trying to get better each day and hope that my effort each day is a byproduct. I hope that my goal of changing my lifestyle and creating my ideal lifestyle is a byproduct of my hard work. Um, Cause that definitely is something that I am more focused on. I think legacy for me will come after my lifestyle is where I need it to be. And then I think, I think my value set is pretty solid right now. I don't think I would do any restructuring or reshuffling. Um, 
So yeah, ask yourself the question. Like if you're enjoying this episode and you enjoyed this episode, ask yourself that question. Right now, if you were to adjust any part of your LLV, are you more focused on your legacy? Are you more focused on optimizing the perfect lifestyle for you? Or are you more focused on readjusting and setting up your your values? Um, If we're all being honest with ourselves, we're probably at a certain stage in life where one of those are more important than the others. Thanks a lot. And fuck you. (laughs) <laughs> I'm just kidding. Love you guys. Smelling like the sweetest scent. Weed is lit. Look at my bitch. Weed is shit. Probably hide what they say when they see us. But they never say that we broke. Cushion every J that we smoke. Putting rings on every finger. Never put them out. Just let the smoke linger. Champagne for the girls. Straight shots for my niggas. Started small, but now the money getting bigger. It all get better with time. Rather go hard instead of unwinding. Play your part and I'ma play mine. Feel me? Motherfuckers already speaking out of turn. They don't know nothing about this shit. That's why I'm me. And you're you. Matter of fact, fuck that. This Taylor Gang. TGOD, nigga. Ain't shit changed, gang. What up, Ricky P? Richard, smack it, nigga. Don't smoke that pound without me, Richard. Don't eat your dinner in the bathroom. <laughs> oh, they fucking this nigga up. Oh, oh man. shit. Oh, they shot him. They shot him. They shot him. Oh, he fucked her. Oh, he fucked her. Oh, he fucked her. Jim Brown smash, baby. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, shit. We get to see the tits. We get to see the tits. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Get her, Jim. 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 Oh, shit. Shit. Mixtape Authority. I'm fresh off the plane. I don't get no sleep, goddamn.